Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, tune into an NL West battle tomorrow night as the Giants host the Dodgers, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Let's get all the expertise on what we've seen and what we will see from Mina Kimes joining us, ESPN NFL analyst. Mina, uh, let's start with last night. Uh, obviously, the news on Herbert at this point is uh, broken rib cartilage. Uh, give me your takeaway on his performance overall. Well, I, I thought he played excellent. Um, you know, the pick six being the low mark, but I do think that had a lot more to do with the route that Gerald Everett, the tight end, was running uh, and to say nothing of his ability to gut it out at the end through injury, perhaps unnecessarily. Um, he, he looks to have kept picked up right where he left off last year. My question going forward, though, is how this injury affects his play, not only over the next week, I know he's day-to-day, but over the entire season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's one of those injuries that might not keep you out of games, but is extremely painful. We obviously saw that on display when he opted not to throw. Uh, at one point when he came back in. So that's something to monitor going forward because so much of this offense really is predicated on his greatness. Yeah, I mean, I was the whole time, I kind of was like so many people on my timeline, but I didn't hit send with the get him out of there before he threw that absolute strike. (laughs) And then after that, I was still like, still get him out of there. Yeah. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on Herbert for sure. What was your takeaway from the Chiefs, especially after what looked like a terrible start? And who the hell up in the heavens or maybe down below football gods is Patrick Mahomes dealing with to get all those dropped interceptions. Well, I, I think it's actually karma or I guess uh, a <laughs> re- reversal of fate because last year, you guys remember he had a lot of interceptions that weren't on him uh, right. passes. A lot of them off of Tyree kills hands. So maybe all of that good luck is going the other way now um, because, you know, simply put the charters really should have won that game, not just because of the interceptions, couple of missed calls, I thought, but really top to bottom, they looked like the better roster. I think they have the better defense. You really saw how ferocious that pass rush was. But, uh, you know, a bunch of things went the Chiefs' way, I would say. Also throw into the mix some injuries on that Chargers offensive line that uh, it, it contributed to the Chiefs' pass rush looking better down the stretch. And I, I think my main takeaway is these teams are as evenly matched as we thought they were. Um, and so, you know, I, I think going forward, the Chiefs getting the win is obviously huge in a very tight division. But uh, the next time they play, I wouldn't be surprised if I end up picking the Chargers, depending on who's injured. It just really like soaked into my core that the karma was against the Chiefs last year and they were still that good. I, I, <laughs> I give up on the fall. All right. So, Mina, let's turn the page into the rest of week two. Is there a team out there that you're you're looking for on Sunday that you just you're waiting to see something great from? Ooh, something great from them. Um, well, there's a lot of teams that lost that really need to win, frankly, <laughs> return to form, whether it's the Bengals um, facing a Cooper Rush-led Cowboys, the Broncos facing Houston. But I'll go with Green Bay in this one against Sarah's Bears. Um, I, what yeah. I want to see is this defense, which I had really thought would be excellent uh, headed into the season, whether we might be overreacting week one or over-concerned because the Minnesota offense is that good and frankly I do think they are or whether there might actually might not actually be what they were hyped up to be I also want to see whether this Packers offense looks better with Alan Lazard in the mix whether they can get that run game going we heard all offseason how they were going to use AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones as pass catchers that didn't really materialize 
And then whether that offensive line is healthy, you know, David Bakhtiari seemingly every week is a question mark. And I think we saw last week, um, you know, when he and Elton Jenkins are out, Aaron Rodgers has a lot of trouble staying upright. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm, I, I believe the Packers will win. I'm sort of tempted on that line, though. I don't know. It could be closer than that. What is it? Uh, I think it's ten still. Yeah, ten and a half. I think last time. Yeah. I oh, I, I would. I would be. T- I mean, look. I thought the Bears um, really showed a lot. I mean, I, I, it was one of those games <laughs> where it's hard to know what to take away because of the weather. Yeah. But um, you know, I, I think that downfield passing game will be there every week because of Justin Fields and the speed you have a receiver. I thought. Yes, uh, the offensive line got beat a lot, but considering the opponents, Nick Bosa, I thought the left tackle, the rookie Braxton Jones, held up reasonably well. So, yeah, you know, it's like I a thought. bunch of young players who are kind of improving week to week, and we'll see if that can continue. We're talking to Mina Kimes. You can, of course, watch her on Around the Horn, NFL Live, the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny Podcast, uh, pretty much everywhere, all the time. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the other half of that, because there was – uh, there were a lot of people, oh, people are dogging the Bears. They want to, Mike, listen, man, they played in a pool. We really don't know what happened. Yeah. Same goes for the other side, though. What do you expect from Trey Lance this week against a Seattle team that maybe looked better than they should have purely based on some terrible decision-making from the Broncos? Well, I, I think Trey is going to play better simply because of the conditions. But, um, you know, what, one thing that really concerned me in week one actually wasn't necessarily his performance, which – you know, it's kind of to be expected, some inconsistency, some beautiful deep balls, um, inaccuracy at times. But the play of the San Francisco 49ers offensive line, as much as I am excited about Dominique Robinson <laughs> and Robert Quinn, uh, I did not expect the Niners offensive line to look as bad as they did against Chicago. Um, and maybe I should have, frankly, because there were question marks along that interior. But to me, that's going to be what I want to watch for this week versus a Seahawks pass rush that was you know, pretty feisty, all things considered, against Denver. Uh, can they do a better job of protecting Trey Lance and blocking in the run game? Because if not, it could be a long season. I mean, every single week is going to be this massive evaluation for Miami. They take on the Ravens on Sunday. What do you expect there? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I, I've got the Ravens, and I've got Lamar Jackson doing a better job of handling the blitz that just destroyed him last year from Miami. But I'm not quite sure what to expect from the Miami offense, um, in large part because I'm not quite sure who's playing for Baltimore on defense. Uh, normally, this is one of the best secondaries in the NFL and one of the few secondaries that I feel can go toe-to-toe with the Dolphins' skill players. Um, but they are all banged up. If you look at the Dolph- Ravens' injury report, you'll see both starting corners, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peter, Brandon Stevens as well. Uh, and so what I want to see from Tua is the same thing I think everybody always wants to see, which is can he test them downfield? He's got the speed. They're going to win some of these matchups, especially if they're hurt. Can he deliver them an accurate ball? And if not, I think as a Dolphins fan, you start wondering, okay, where is the ceiling of this offense? Yeah, there's some question marks about what we saw in week one and whether it proved anything or if they got lucky. I think in some cases the Dolphins tricked us because in that game against uh, New England, they got real lucky on turnovers that they recovered and dropped picks and new england didn't um which brings me to that game what do you make of pittsburgh new england i don't know how much you could take away from either team after week one yeah this is a tough one i called it grimy today on nfl live because it just doesn't it just feels sludgy i mean both of these offenses i thought were really underwhelming week one um and i i think what i'd want to see especially from new england is 
can against the Steelers defense that no longer has T.J. Watt but still has some stars, can I see some creativity, some juice? Mac Jones uh, completed only one pass downfield, and, and some of that I thought was you know, his own limitations and lack of separation, but some of it was play design. So I want to think, I think there's a lot of pressure. As much pressure as is on Mac Jones, I think there's more pressure on Matt Patricia to come up with something different to try to generate explosives um, because they're going to have to. Mina, before we get you out of here, am I going to be okay by Sunday night? I think so. I've, okay. I've, got, you, I've got you guys winning. Um, you know, I, I was pretty underwhelmed. It's the Raiders, the Ra- everybody Raiders listening. Look, look, uh, if they the don't Raiders, know by now, they're everybody. never going to know, Sarah, Maybe they're tuning yeah, in for the fair. first that's time, fair. giving that's us fair. a shot. That's fair. Assume Man, nothing. if you don't win this one, I would hit the panic meter. But um, <sighs> what my concern about the Raiders' offense is I don't think the offensive line is getting better. I do, however, think Derek Carr is going to do a better job making decisions than he did week one. And if that's the case, um, I think given the playmakers they have, they should be able to pull out the win. If that's not the case, uh, well, might start worrying. Oh, see, All right. Like I this... can't wait to replay that Monday after a loss. Oh, man. <laughs> Mina, like, I, look, I've been, I've been keeping it poly positive all week, but I might go straight to Dan Downer by Monday if this doesn't work out for me. More Looking... like uh, straight to Woodson Whiskey oh, if my we're going to yeah, keep the like... alliteration going. There, there's hey. going to be so much. <laughs> Mina, thanks for the time. Enjoy the weekend of games. Thanks, Mina. Bye, guys. So, obviously, we're not going to have to pick the Raiders game this week, but it is, thank God, it is time. ESPN Radio has been competing against all the shows. Last week, I went two out of three, and if Sarah had been picking, we would have gotten them all right. So, this week, we're going to flip it over and let Sarah work her magic and see if she can have better success than I can. We're going to get into some picks next with Five Pick Friday on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm not going to cut Miley off. We're going to wait till the beat drops. Never. That's just what you Never. do. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, hey, Sarah. Yeah. There are certain things that you're better at than me, which is basically everything. And nah, so, that's you know, not true. I mean, well, when it comes to, to, to things like, I don't know, predictions, when it comes prognosticating, to prognosticating yeah, prognostic, yeah. or being able to spell prognosticating, <laughs> there's just certain things that I understand. I understand my limitations on. So, you know, for anyone that doesn't know what we're doing, we're picking games against the other shows uh, on ESPN radio, and it's turned into a bit of a contest. I got two out of three right week one, but if I had listened, to you, I would have had all three. So this week, as we get ready for the fun, you get to take the reins. It's a team, man. It's a team. One guy can't do it. It takes all of us. ESPN Radio's Pick'em Challenge. Now, we're going to do this a little different, all right, because they only pick three games, but three games is boring. We're going to pick more. We're going to pick three against the other teams, but then we're just going to have some fun with two other games every single week. So are you ready to step up to the challenge of being the official picker? For anyone that doesn't listen, I can plead my case, but Sarah has the final say on this. The rest of us will all just have to sign off on whatever it is. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Just like happened last week when I disagreed with you on the one that you got wrong. I'm worried because these picks are tougher for me than last week's were, but let's go. I'm ready. The first game on the board, one that means a lot to you. The Packers versus the Bears mm. and the Pack. This is remember, we're doing these against the spread, right? Yep. So the Packers are favored by ten. So how do you like mm. this one? You know, I was tempted with that spread to think that the Bears might keep it tighter, and that was uh foolish of me because mm. I need to remind myself that even with the Packers looking as bad as they did uh, week one, which they also did last year and they had a fine season, uh it's 
Packers Bears. And I don't believe that Aaron Rodgers is an owner of the Bears, like he likes to say, but he has been fantastic. Green Bay is 9-0 outright and against the spread after a loss under LaFleur. Bears are 3-12 against the spread in their last 15 games against NFC North opponents. And you just can never – I mean, Aaron Rodgers against NFC North opponents, but especially the Bears, unbelievable. Unbelievable. 16 touchdowns without an interception in six straight starts against the Bears. So uh, I want to say it's going to be closer. I might even put some money on it separately just to keep my streak going, betting on my Bears. But for the sake of our show and the good of our show, I'm taking the Packers and that and that minus 10. That actually feels like a really good pick to me. But I'm with you. A 10-point spread is a big spread in an NFL yeah. game. And that makes me uncomfortable. But I look back at the, even the last four games. Uh, the Bears have won by at least 10 every time over the last four games. The There's, Packers, you mean. Uh, sorry, yeah, the Packers have won by at least 10. Uh, so it's hard for me, especially when you've got Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers and everybody's going to be frustrated. Uh, it feels like they're going to try and take it out on Chicago. We just don't right. have any idea yet who Chicago is. So uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That That's a tough one. And this one may not be as tough. We'll see. This one's our ESPN radio game. You don't want to miss this uh, with Carlin and Southall on it. It's Patriots at Steelers. The mm. Patriots favored by two. How do you think? I do find this tough. Uh, you had a Steelers team that depended a lot on its defense in week one, and T.J. Watt will be out. You had an offense where Mitch Trubisky didn't do much and wasn't particularly challenged, but when he was, didn't have great support from his offensive line, giving him time. He didn't have to do much for them to win that game. On the other end, you've got a Patriots offense that's absolutely pathetic and a defense that could have had some turnovers and couldn't complete them, right? So... I do think this is going to be tight. I do think that two-point spread is is probably fair, but I think I'm taking the Steelers and the spread over the Patriots. You know, Belichick used to be a pretty successful guy against the spread after a loss, but since Tom Brady left, he's just eight and seven. So it's basically a, a, a coin flip there, and the Steelers eight and two against the spread in their last ten conference games. I'm taking Pittsburgh. Yeah. Taking Mitch, Maserati Mitch. I, look, I agree with you on this. I think the Steelers win outright, but I, I especially, I mean, if you're going to give me a couple of points, I'll take yep. it. Uh, this this has less to do with anything other than I just think it's going to take time for the Patriots offense to gel together. And, and right now, they don't get that benefit. Even without mm-hmm. T.J. Watt, that defense for the Steelers is going to be su- suffocating. They'll force enough turnovers. I totally agree with you. Look at this. We agree on everything right. so far. Right. One more game on the slate that competes with the other ESPN radio shows, and that's the Bucks at the Saints. The Bucks favored by two and a half. The dreaded two and a half here. So how do you feel All about right. this one? Uh, normally I would say, what's that spread? The Bucks are a better team than the Saints. I am more certain about Tom Brady and company than about Jameis Winston and his squad as I still try to get a read on them. But you have to remember that Tom Brady is 0-4 against the Saints during the regular season since he signed with the Bucks. The Saints have his number. Tampa Bay as a team, even without Brady, haven't beat the Saints during the regular season since 2018. Mm. And yet... I'm taking the Bucks. Oh, I'm taking the Bucks minus two and a half. Wow! Yeah, so the the impossible finally happens, and he goes yep. out and, and beats. Ooh, I, ooh, this one's tough for me, Sarah, because I I feel like I I get I get the fact that it's Brady. You know that I'm not in love with the Bucks. You also know that I'm not in love with the Saints. So I feel mm-hmm. like there's two teams I'm not really in love with. Trying to figure out which one can win this matchup. I, 
I don't know. I, I my gut says Saints, uh, but but you're going what? you're you're going Bucks. We have are you gonna are you gonna disagree or are you gonna equivocate so that later no, on you don't no. have to own I'm up? I'm gonna to... disagree with you. I okay. think the Saints win this game. I think All the right. Saints win this game. So we have our second disagreement. We'll see how this goes. Yep. Uh, for the course of of, of of over the course of the picks, but to be very clear, our show is officially putting in the Packers minus ten, the Steelers plus two, and the Bucks minus two and a half as our show picks. So okay. uh, there we go. Going, and you're going Packers, Steelers, Saints, and then we got two more. We got to get in here quick. All right, go for it. Uh, the next uh, the next game on the slot that we're going to go just for our own fun at this point is we got uh, Vegas and Arizona, uh, and so. Obviously, you know where I'm going to lean on this game. But how do you feel about Vegas and Arizona? I believe in your Raiders. Are we doing against the spread or just straight up? I'm pulling the spread right now. Just to minus get five and a half okay. is what I'm seeing. You got minus um, five and a half. I'll agree with they, that. Uh, Raiders minus five and a half. I'm putting my money on your Raiders. I think the Cardinals didn't look good. Now they've got some stuff they can clean up to look a little better, and they were playing the Chiefs, but. I think your Raiders bounce back here. Five and a half is a big number. I'm a little surprised by that, but I also agree with you. I think that Cardinals defense is just not good, and the Raiders are going to expose them. We're going to find out at that point that uh, the, the Cardinals are the issue, not the AFC West teams one way or the other. Let's get one more in. A tough one here. The Dolphins and the Ravens, Baltimore favored by three and a half. I'm going with Baltimore on this one. Uh, I think that the Dolphins, like I said yesterday, they kind of tricked us in week one. They took advantage of having some real turnover issues that didn't get capitalized on by the Patriots. In this case, if Tua is a sloppy and if they make those mistakes, I think the Ravens will make them pay for it. Um, I also I, I, I have faith in Lamar uh, putting up some good numbers. So I'm taking I'm taking the Ravens. Yeah, I'm with you. I actually put money on the Ravens at three Ooh. and a half. So I, I, I think Baltimore not only wins this game, I think Baltimore wins this game pretty handily. Baltimore's a better team than they're getting credit for and I, you know I'm not a big believer in the Dolphins so early in the season we'll see how it plays out we've agreed on all but one game so this will be interesting as we keep show uh, we'll keep our show numbers over the course of the year also but most importantly I actually kind of hope I'm wrong just because that means Sarah helps our team catch up because we there went 2-1 and one last week and we're one game behind alright we'll keep you updated in the meantime it's, uh, it's 8.25 I tell you that because when we come back it'll be the Right time, Spain and Fitz on ESPN <laughs> Radio and the ESPN app. Always hanging out with you on e- on Sirius XM Channel 80. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's a Friday. You got Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. For a job you'll love, visit Progressive.com slash careers. Always blessed when Bomani Jones decides to stop by the program and make us all smarter. And I was listening to his fantastic podcast, The Right Time with Bomani Jones, Friday edition with uh, Dominique Foxworth. Great chemistry, great conversation between those two all the time. But when you got into Robert Sarver, you said something in particular that I found interesting. And it was a little bit different than what everybody else has been saying. And that's not just understanding the politics of trying to take away an NBA or any professional owner's team, not just the ghosts that may be in the closets of other owners that they don't want people picking around in, but the fundamental nature of removing property. Can you get into that aspect of it? Yeah. So, I mean, I always make this point to people that property rights are like the biggest thing that this country really has going. I was like, the Declaration of Independence, Life, Liberty, and Pursuit of Happiness, that's the adaptation of life, liberty, and property. And philosophers will tell you that property and pursuit of happiness are treated interchangeably by that document. All of that is to say, you're not just about to come up to somebody and say, we're taking your stuff. 
that is aren't mechanisms in place for you to take people's things from them if you are not the government, and that applies to this team. And so I think that people think that the NBA took the team from Donald Sterling, and that's not what happened. They banned Sterling for life. The team went to his ex-wife and know about Donald Sterling that his big thing in life always was that he doesn't ever sell anything. And it, and if it, it was not his ex-wife, it was his wife that was not his mistress. But if you know anything about a circumstance like that, that person is going to do exactly the thing that you don't want, which is sell your stuff. And so if you, what you wanted from the NBA was for them to take Robert Sarver's team from them, I just don't know realistically how you ever expected that. I mean, they could have come with some sort of massive, many years long ban. That probably would have been something maybe that would have made people happier. But if you really thought that the league was ever going to be able to take a team away from that man, you're just talking about a world that doesn't exist. So with that being said, Bamani, then what would, in your mind, have been the the right reaction if that can't be the reaction? Well, I think the first thing that the NBA needed to correct in this and where they bothered me in the report is going – through such lengths to try to give us the we don't know what's in Robert Sarver's heart argument as if what's in his mm-hmm. heart matters, what he did and how he behaved is the thing that mattered. And so I read the report, and the law firm kept making the point that, yeah, he did all these ridiculous things, but he wasn't acting out of racial animus. But the only way that you establish that point is if you show that he treated white people the same way, which, weirdly enough, you could make that argument about gender because the ways that he treated men were also like very much in line with sexual harassment. I didn't see any argument that was presented in that that he treated white people the same way he treated black people. Maybe he did, but they didn't like definitively make that point. And so I felt like the law firm and the NBA were going so hard to be like, hey, Robert Sarver did these terrible things, comma, but we don't think he's a racist. And I don't really think it matters that much whether he passes the racism test nearly as much as just acknowledging what the harm is that he has done and how he's run this team. And then going from there, um, but a $10 million fine in the charter is the most that they can give. And even though the guy's a billionaire, it's still $10 million. So nobody want to write no $10 million check. I just can't pretend like that's zero. But they probably could have kept him away for longer. The, the irony of it is the more you keep Robert Sarver away from that team, the better it is for that team. As any New York Yankees fan will tell you about the 1990s when they got George Steinbrenner out of there, a dynasty was built. <laughs> We're talking to Bamani Jones. Listen to The Right Time with Bamani Jones wherever you get your podcast at Spain and Fitz. There have been some developments since yesterday, some pretty big ones. Uh, the minority owner of the Phoenix Suns has called for Robert Sarver to resign. The NBPA leader, executive director, has called for the NBA to ban him and has said she was speaking on behalf of NBA players and that they do not want him to be in a position where he's managing or engaging with individuals or players. Uh, Also, PayPal has said it will not continue its sponsorship if Suns owner Robert Sarver returns after the ban. Now, this is all before we've heard anything from the Mercury side of things, and we know how when the WNBA and its players get together and try to make a, mo- a movement, uh, it, it's shown to be pretty powerful in the past. Do you think any of those things are likely to push him to act in a way that maybe the NFL, NBA can't do themselves, but if he if he initiates, uh, might create change? I think they can. The players, I think, have a great deal of power in this, although I think it puts a disproportionate weight on the players of the Suns to basically ask them to say, we're not going to play for this guy anymore. But I think the players have a measure of weight. The sponsors, obviously have a measure of weight. And that's the only way that this thing here 
was ever going to work is if you were going to have that level of push. So to give an example of that, and I'm not getting into anybody's political beliefs, I'm just telling you the facts on this. Tucker Carlson's got the highest rated show in cable news. They can't sell ads on that for nothing. It's basically a bunch of my pillow commercials because all these corporations decided, hey, man, we're just not getting on board with this. So, like, if you look at what mm-hmm. Tucker Carlson's salary is relative to his peers, people who have lower ratings than him, it's lower. And the reason it's lower is, is because they can't sell it because the market has spoken in that way. Now, that's not enough for Fox to say they're not going to put Carlson on the air. But if anything was going to make it happen, it would be that. That's going to have to be the same thing if you think something's going to happen with Sarver. The people that you know that fuel the economy around around that team, they're going to be the ones that are going to have to demand his removal. And that's really how things work just about everywhere in this capitalist society is that the market's going to have to make that decision. There is no overarching body that can just decide you don't get this team anymore. Like if Robert Sarver was behaving like this and he owned Amazon, you can't take Amazon from him. It just doesn't work that way. So, Bamani, that takes me to something you and I have talked about in the past that I always think is interesting is where the fan responsibility really lies. Because so often, if you don't like the way your team is being run or you don't want to stand for what your team stands for, I make the argument you can just stop spending money on that team. But that's never going to happen. So where is the line for fans? I mean, is there something that you think would actually make a fan base turn around and say, I'm out, I'm not going to spend money on this anymore? Well, I tell you, it happened in Charlotte. Um, when George Shin owned the Hornets and he had, was accused, I believe it was of sexual assault, he was ultimately exonerated, but it was found that he carried on improper relationships that were not in his marriage. That city turned on that team to the point where he had to move. So it has happened before. Now, will it happen over this? Look, man, this is a country where if you remember the dude, Josh Hader, who was fishing for the uh, Brewers at the time, and I forget what, uh, I, I think he got caught saying the N-word or something along those lines. His first yeah. game back, he get a standing ovation from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Like, white people in this country are not inclined to put their foot down about race, in, especially not in ways that are ambiguous in the eyes of many in the ways it goes for Sarver. Sarver more likely to get a standing ovation from that audience in Phoenix than he is to get a rebuke. For them, So the fair responsibility is if this offends you, then don't go do it like they get to make their call and they get to ultimately make the decision um, on how it is that they want to behave with him. But we we have seen it before. It can just be kind of random when somebody actually decides to do it. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that across spaces. Morgan Wallen's career probably was helped by him that being filmed using a racial slur, the musician. Well, well, well um, let me give you a story on that. When he first came back and did shows, he made some sort of mention to it, and basically people were, you know, booing the idea that he had, you know, suffered some consequences, and he said, yeah, but I was wrong for that. And the fans were not on board with him about that. Right. They didn't yeah. want him to apologize. They wanted him to be defiant and that and spend money on him to, to make sure that he was uh, buoyed by it. Uh, we're talking about Monty Jones here. Um, really quick, and, and, and I think your point um, is, is, has been made, but I just, is it complete hopelessness to look at rich white men in positions of power across sports and otherwise and ever demand or expect accountability? It I feels like that's such a... I, I don't like that approach that, that unless it's so extreme that it can't be denied, nothing can be done when these expectations for players seem more stringent than our expectations for people who are supposed to be in leadership positions. 
Yeah, I'm not necessarily that hopeful on in in that realm about who it is that's going to enforce and create good behavior in this way. And I think that's part of the problem that we wind up with across the board is that people don't. The reason that people want the NBA to do something is because they feel like somebody has to do something and there's nobody they can point to to do something. And I do think that it creates a level of helplessness um, across the board with people when they observe um, this sort of thing. But with Sarver... There's going to be a shame attached to this forever, and the question is going to become whether or not that shame matters, because that's really the only punishment that you can put in place here is shame. Bamani, awesome stuff as always. Everyone go check out The Right Time, especially those Foxworth episodes. You guys are just fantastic together. Yeah, Thanks for giving us some time on a Friday. All right, no problem. You guys be good. Hey, don't forget you can always chime in on the show on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Space. Bain and Fitz at Jason Fitz. Uh, Bamani always getting in the zone when he talks to us. Get in the zone brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Coming up, can the Aces finish off the sun? And did Fitz jinx them last night? It's Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. If you recall last night, Fitz was all fired up. He had snuck his way into enemy territory, managing to do our show from inside the Connecticut Sun Arena in advance of what he expected to be a dominant Aces win, closing out a sweep of the Sun to win the WNBA championship. Uh, Spoiler alert, that did not happen. The Sun as a team shot something like 60% from the field. Like every player on the team was shooting over 50%. Um, there were some really impressive outings fits. And you kind of aren't that surprised when a team that's mucked it up on the way to the WNBA Finals and made things tough on some really good teams gets a win. The question is, did you see anything last night that makes you worried about Sunday? No, but I I do think that you had to look at it at some point and say aggressiveness was going to matter. And Connecticut came out so aggressive uh, early on in that game. I thought it was a real statement by them how hard they were playing on both sides of the floor. Vegas' defense was just not there. There's the most points Vegas has given up in the first quarter all playoff, and uh, the Sun just looked like everything came easy. There were a couple of things. I mean, Jonquil Jones was a force, and I mean a force, and it felt like Asia Wilson was not ready for the, the way they were attacking her defensively at the rim. It's just that their obvious approach was let's create contact and just see if that goes our way. And for whatever reason, Vegas didn't seem ready for it. So do I believe that that's going to happen again? No. I mean, let's keep in mind that this was a Vegas team that was getting their butts kicked, had it down to six points, and then fell apart again. So, mm-hmm. you know, good. I, I will give the Sun all the praise for the way they pieced that together. But I don't think you'll see – like, sometimes you just poke the belly of the beast. I think Asia Wilson's going to come out particularly fired up in the next game because of the way they went at her at the rim so often. I expect to see a totally different version of her. I was shocked by a couple Sun players doing the whole Steph Curry, you know, putting you to bed thing with over six minutes to play in a nine-point game. 
I thought that was very ill-advised against a team that they had lost two straight to that was as dominant as the Aces, but it ended up working out for Connecticut. A lot of that was Alyssa Thomas, 16 points, mm. 15 boards, 11 assists. Um, she was incredibly tough. Um, first triple-double in WNBA Finals history. And, you know, we talked about Dewana Bonner being absolutely terrible through the first two games, one for nine in both of the first two. She had a much better game. That was nice to see. Eight of 15 for 18 points, uh, held Chelsea Gray somehow to 11 points, which didn't seem – if you made me bet on Chelsea 11 and under, I, 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 there's absolutely taken the over there. But um, I do feel enthusiastic for your aces come Sunday. I want to hear more about your experience, though. Did you put on your Las Vegas sweatshirt and eschew your journalistic integrity? Of course. Did you pretend to well, be a real journalist? Where'd you sit? Where'd you watch? Who'd you see? What'd you do? So here's the thing. I, I, after we finished our broadcast, we have very limited time before the game was about to start. So I tried to figure out where I was allowed to go. And they have limited – they don't have an actual press box in the stadium anyway. So they they have some seats they cover up, and they make that the press area, essentially. But those seats are assigned, and I didn't have an assigned seat. So the advice I got was just find an empty seat. And there were uh, – I mean, I'm not throwing any shade at the sun, but there were definitely some empty seats. So I was like, okay. So I did the responsible thing here. Once I know I'm, I'm going to be in an empty seat, and I don't have to worry about anything. I walked quickly, uh, power walked to the car was able to get to the car, drop my book bag off, take off the uh, WNBA hoodie, put on my Raiders hoodie that I had over my mm-hmm. Aces shirt. And I was like, okay, that'll at least get me in the building. And I'm going to buy a WNBA Finals hoodie when I get in. So I get in, I miss like the first minute of action. And then I'm like, okay, I've got my press pass or my credential that's going to let me go sit anywhere. Nobody was going to stop me with that. So I got myself, uh, you know, I was splurging a little bit, got myself a Diet Coke and because uh, I try not to drink that <laughs> stuff anymore. And then I go, uh, I go up and I start watching the game. So I was able to find seats. Everybody was super nice. Crowd was a little bit quiet in the beginning of the game. Sun go on a run. We get to the end of the first quarter, and I go down to the merch stand because I'm like, "There's, I'm gonna get some WNBA, WNBA merch." So I go up, and the merch girl, she's she that was sitting there, sort of disinterested. I walk up, and I see the T-shirt that I'm currently wearing in studio. I wore it tonight for my digital shirt. It says WNBA Finals on it, has both team logo on it. And I said, "That's awesome. I'll spend forty dollars on that, but I would rather get a hoodie." And she said, "No, this, this is all the finals merch that we have." And I, so my mm-hmm. first question is. Was there another stand I can go to? And she's like, no, no, no. This is all we we got. And I was like, okay. Thinking she meant that's the only design. I was like, great. Do you have it in like a zip up or a jacket? She's like, this shirt is the only finals gear that was made. And then she said, and I hope you only wear a larger and extra large because that's all they even sent us. Not no all we medium? have left. No medium? No medium? And I was like, well, the, the large large fits fine. My shoulder's getting swole, oh, yo. Sure. I gotta work out. But sure, sure. I stood there. I, I spent 40 bucks on the shirt because I was going to buy something. But Sarah, this speaks to a little bit of what we talked about yesterday. Like, I'm at the WNBA Finals. Many people that were there were having some drinks, right? Like, Take my money. You just 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 take all of my money. Have so much there that I end up carrying around an obnoxious bag worth of hundreds of dollars with the gear, like they do at the Super Bowl or like they do, you know, at the NBA Finals. They usually have these things. Couldn't find any of it. I was very frustrated. So the Connecticut experience was nice. Everybody was very kind. Uh, but I, I will say that I wish the WNBA had made it easier to take my money and be a partner with the the, the brand that we care a lot about. I agree. This is a problem. And being on the ownership side now of women's sports, it's sometimes not as easy as they say, because you're dealing oftentimes with lesser production, um, not lesser in terms of quality, but smaller production um, 
you know, factories and companies that have uh, more margin for error if something gets slowed down. Um, so that quote unquote supply chain issue mm-hmm. that we've had all during COVID and beyond um, affects them even more. Um, and I think also just budget wise, you can't spend to rush things uh, and the bandwidth in the offices uh, and, and the marketing departments and everything sometimes gets behind. Those are not excuses. Uh, I've said for a number of years now that in women's sports right now, it is expensive to be cheap. If you do not spend to level up and show people the value and give them an opportunity to spend, you're costing yourself much more than just the cost of that shirt or that sweatshirt you wanted to buy. Um, But in this case, I'm glad they had something. Because we've certainly seen, you know, I feel like every time there's a World Cup or an Olympics, uh, I find myself ordering a U.S. Women's National Team jersey or or, or shirt or something, and I don't get it till they're done tournaments mm-hmm. done um so baby steps i guess and i'm i i want to hear more about did, did you talk to isaah or lambeer did you talk to tarika oh, no. Did no, you no, see no, Ari? no did you make any friends did you make everybody any networking connections? no they, they, no they were all very very so like i didn't see tarika uh anywhere but i know she was working right uh lambeer and isaiah were rock odds they kept showing them on the jumbotron and by the way it's so funny that isaiah you can tell still loves that shine like he was yeah, yeah. he was uh, smiling and waving and lambeer just sort of gruffly looked at the camera. Uh, I, I well, went... Lambeer's probably like, oh, man, I could have done a lot better. And, and I went by... Yeah, like 100%. showing me up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I went over to the area where our set was, and I got to say, like, Ari, I mean, everybody on that broadcast, I don't, for, for anybody that didn't watch the pregame broadcast, I went back and rewatched part of it today. They did such great work, and they, they always do. They were so intently taking notes during the game that even though I was like, I don't know, 25 feet from them at one point, I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like it was the right time or place to bother them. I was yeah. actually trying to let them be pros. So my, my main goal was to soak in the experience. And I will say this. Every time that Connecticut crowd got up on their feet and started waving their white towels, there was a vibe and energy to it that I looked around and thought, this is this is where the league is winning right now. There's a lot right. of passion for that team in that arena, and that was the cool – my goal was to take in the vibe and the atmosphere, and I was happy to do that even in a blowout loss. All right, what's the plan for Sunday? Do you have NFL work to do? Does it conflict with the time of yeah, the Raiders game? It totally com- can, what it, about it your celebration? It conflicts with the Raiders kickoff. It's at the same time, and I have work to do for the gambling articles that I do, I have to, I have to, you know, watch the end of the game. So I'm going to watch it home. Second TV goes to the WNBA for that. While I have the Raiders on another second TV, and then Sunday ticket in the middle. It's going to be packed. Whew. Wow, the life of a, the life of a swinging bachelor. <laughs> you and, it's a threesome with your TVs. Freddie and Fitz Evans are going to talk to Fitz's TVs about the steamy weekend next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.